You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit kingscross.org. Um, happy Mother's Day. Um, God has been gracious to me in the sphere of um, mothers in my life. Um, I have a mom, a stepmom, a mother-in-law, um, and I married a woman who became a mom. Um, she's actually not here today because she's doing mom things with our middle daughter uh, up in Chapin who decided one prom wasn't enough. She needed two, and so she went up there to go <laughs> with a, a friend of hers. So, um, so happy Mother's Day to the moms in my life. Connie's probably back there somewhere. Um, and to the mothers in your life. Um, we thank God for his grace in that. We are starting a new series this morning called Conversations About Family. And so over the course of the next several weeks, we're just going to be talking about different issues related to the family. We're going to talk about moms and dads and children. We're going to talk about marriage and singleness. We're going to talk about the role of the church in the family. We're even going to talk about the role of sex in the family. We'll give you a heads up on that one in case you um, want your kids to be involved in something else. But here's what I don't want to do. And I just kind of give this as a disclaimer kind of over the whole series, right? What I don't want to do is spend like three or four minutes at the beginning of every sermon in the series um, explaining that I'm aware that it may not apply to you, okay? And that can be a danger sometimes in series like this because you walk in and it's on marriage and you're single and you think, well, this one doesn't apply to me. That's not true because um, I'm I, like I recognize that everyone's not a mom, and today can be hard for some people. Everybody isn't married. Everybody doesn't have children. But God's Word speaks to these things. And so even if one particular sermon along the series doesn't apply directly to you exactly in the season of life that you're in today, it's still good for you to know about these things. And here's why. My assumption is that you have conversations with people. Fair? Some of you are like, eh. <laughs> okay, my assumption is that you have conversations with people. And if you're a Christian, and I know not everybody in the room is a Christian, but if you're a Christian, my assumption is that sometimes those conversations drift to the spiritual. And so I would say that, you know, for example, if somebody at your work is grieving the loss of a loved one, if you're a Christian, how can your faith not come into that conversation? Like if you are at a gym and your workout partner is struggling to conceive and you're a Christian, how can your faith not come into that conversation? You know, if your child or your grandchild is contemplating getting engaged to the person that they, uh, you know, are dating, how can you not talk about God's plan and purpose for marriage. These things, I think, just naturally come up. You with me? Okay. So, what I don't want to do, <laughs> this is the interactive, what I don't want to do is just acknowledge that week after week after week because I think they all apply to you. I think every sermon in the series applies to everyone. So, I'll prove it to you. So, um, this one is on moms in the family. By show of hands, um, how many of you either are a mom, know a mom, or have a mom? <laughs> Almost everyone. Good. 
<laughs> good, good. Okay, if you're here and didn't have a mom, see me after the service. I'm interested in that conversation. Okay, so that's my big series-wide disclaimer. We're starting off talking about moms and the family. And so what I want to do is pretty simple. I want to give you two observations and two encouragements about motherhood. Two observations and two encouragements about motherhood. Observation number one, motherhood is rooted in womanhood. Observation number one, motherhood is rooted in womanhood. I'm not saying the opposite. I'm not saying that being a woman is rooted in being a mom. Don't hear that. I'm saying that being a mom is rooted in being a woman. And here's what I mean. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything and he creates uh, it good. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, are in perfect relationship with him. They're in perfect relationship with, with each other and with the creation itself. In Genesis 3, they rebel against God, as do every one of us still to this day. And the consequences of their sin against God and ours cannot possibly be overstated. Everything changes. By the end of chapter 3, God is going to expel them from his presence uh, in the Garden of Eden. And the entire rest of the Bible is the story of God redeeming and reconciling his rebellious people to himself so that they can once again be in his presence, which is what we see when we get to the end of the book in Revelation. And that's why Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are such good news. Because by faith, we can be reconciled to a God against whom we have rebelled, and we can step into the promise and eventually enjoy the fullness of eternal life that he had planned for us since the beginning. Now, there's this curious thing that happens after our first parents sin and before they get kicked out of the garden in Genesis 3.20. It says this, The man, that's Adam, called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, do Adam and Eve have children in Genesis 3? No. Has Eve's fertility been confirmed in Genesis 3? No. Do they know what the curse that the woman got in Genesis 3.16, where God said, you'll have pain in childbearing, and he didn't just mean uh, during the baby's journey down the birth canal, he meant in child rearing, and all the mothers said, do they know what now you participate, right? Like, I've been waiting on that. Okay, that's fine. So do they know what that curse is going to look like yet in Genesis 3? No. Eve doesn't become a biological mom until Genesis 4.1. And yet in Genesis 3.20, Adam says she was already the mother of all living. There's something about being a mother that was already present in and true of Eve before she became a biological mom. There's something about motherhood that is present in all women, regardless of their reproductive status, because motherhood is rooted in womanhood. This is ontologically true of women. 
It's the way that God designed them to be. It's rooted in their nature. So everything that is true of moms in the Bible is also true of women in general. They aren't separate categories, you see? There aren't two categories of beings. So why does that matter? Because I think sometimes in our culture's sinful attempt to create conflict and animosity at every single turn, largely so it can be monetized, that's a different sermon, women are pitted against moms as if you have to choose. And so very often what you'll see is that people will say, well, if you want, do you want to be a woman who's living up to her full potential, or do you want to just be a mom? Or the other side will say, well, how could you ever be a woman who lives up to her full potential unless you are a mom? It is tragic how women can very often attack one another, especially online, in this kind of cultural tug of war over what is a real woman have to do, have to think, have to be, have to say, have to vote, have to work, have to... This is a demonic, false dichotomy because motherhood is rooted in womanhood. It is one aspect of the way that God has designed women. This is the first observation. Second observation. Motherhood is not one size fits all. It's not one size fits all. I'm the son of a mom who was a single mom for a while and then a remarried mom. I'm a man who has one sibling who is a sister who's the mom of four. I'm a husband who is raising three daughters, and I'm the pastor of a church where God's gifting to women is indispensable to the work that we do. And so I get passionate about this. You can ask my daughters that sometimes I'll bow up a little bit when I, when I see this notion that there's some kind of box that ought to define moms. Not all women are the same. Not all Christian women are the same. Not all married Christian women are the same, and not all moms are the same. Motherhood is not one size fits all. That, ladies, that's a really good spot for you to say amen. Okay, <laughs> so let me give you an example. <clears throat> we'll go to many a pastor's favorite Mother's Day passage, Proverbs 31. Now, this passage is misused by lazy Christian pastors and quite a few lazy Christian husbands all the time. And it puts all of this unbiblical pressure and weight on women to live up to some type of composite vision of womanhood, which is not the reason Proverbs 31 is in the Bible. Okay, But we're just going to kind of use it as a case study for me to show you that motherhood is not one size fits all. So if you were to look at Proverbs 31, what you'll see is that verse 1 says that the whole chapter was taught to King Lemuel by his mother. So I think we can infer by that that moms are, at least in part, disciplers in their home. Verses 2 through 9 warn the son 
King Lemuel, to avoid the pitfalls of life and pursue a life of wisdom. And then verses 10 through 31 give these characteristics of a wife and a mother who's to be commended for living that type of wise life, the type of life that the son is being called to. So let's just run down quickly through a list of things that this wise wife and mother look like. Um, and moms, you, you see, or if you aspire to be a mom, you see if you're hitting all of these boxes, okay? In verses 10 and 11, she is precious and trustworthy. Okay, that, that one's, we started off pretty easy. In verse 12, she stands by her man, kind of Patsy Cline style, okay? In verses 13 through 14, she leverages trade networks for her family because she gathers resources from too far away to just kind of walk to, right? And so she is uh, uh, some type of expert in logistics or commerce or something of that nature. In verse 15, she's an early riser. She gets the house in order before she heads off to work, and she prepares a list of the things for her servants to do. Right? So, moms, it is biblical for you to ask for a maid. Right? This is Proverbs 31, 15. It's just there. I'll say that because my wife's in shape with my daughter, and hopefully she doesn't listen to the podcast. Right? But this is biblical. In verses 16 and 24, she's a savvy businesswoman, specifically in the fields of real estate and fashion. In verse 17, she's physically strong. She probably does E2M or something like that. In verses 18 to 19, she's figured out a way for her business to make money even overnight. So she must have some type of like really good website or she invests in overnight repurchase agreements or something of that nature. In verse 20, she's generous and pursues justice initiatives. In verses 21 and 22, she likes nice things, including expensive sheets these are, this is true. You go back, open your Bible, and you go back and listen, and you see. That I'm telling you, this is in there, right? In verse 23, she married well. Shout out to the dudes. In verses 25 and 26, she's emotionally strong, well-mannered, not anxious, wise, and kind. In verse 27, she works hard at home. In verse 28, her children and her husband love her. Amen. In verse 29, she's admired over her peer group online Facebook pressure. In verse 30, her spiritual life is on point, and by verse 31, she's living her best life. By show of hands, how many of you have that covered? Right? One, amen. Okay, well done. <laughs> Nobody has all those covered, and God's not saying you should have all of those covered. That's not, it, it is uh, it's a list of general truths like the rest of Proverbs, not a recipe per, for perfection that Christian moms have to pursue or feel guilty about because motherhood is not one size fits all. Everybody can't do everything. So at King's Cross, we've got bio moms and foster moms and adoptive moms and stepmoms. We've got boy moms and girl moms and some moms with both. We've got stay-at-home moms, moms that work at home, and moms that work outside of the home. We've got homeschool moms and private school moms and public school moms, moms that have lost children, moms that have rebellious children, and some moms who have children who struggle with issues that they can't change. We've got single moms and divorced moms and moms of blended families, moms that are killing it, and moms that are barely hanging on. 
Because motherhood is not one size fits all. That is okay. What is true, I would say, of every mom, though, is this. God sees you. He sees you. There's a mom in Genesis 16 named Hagar. She's not a perfect mom. She was a servant. She got impregnated by the husband of her mistress who wanted to use her like a surrogate. But then after she actually became pregnant, the jealousy kind of kicked in, and so she got kicked out. She was literally single, pregnant, unemployed, and homeless. And in Genesis 16, 11, and 12, God sends an angel to her to comfort her and encourage her that he is still providing for her. And her response in Genesis 16, 13 was to call him El Roy, the God who sees. She said this, or <clears throat> Genesis says this, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing, El Roy. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Moms, God sees you. And he is looking after you. And he knows that motherhood is not one size fits all. He sees your struggles and he sees your triumphs. And he does not expect you to do everything all the time. He expects you to be faithful in your role. In your role is plural. He hasn't called you to be a super mom. He's called you to himself. He doesn't want you to look around at all of the other moms and compete. He wants you to look to him and abide. You can't be, hear me, you can't be, I don't care what Instagram says, everything that your husband and your children and your friends and your parents need you to be. You're a mom, not God. So sometimes you'll mess up, and that's okay. But be encouraged, if you will, by Jesus' genealogy in Matthew. If you read through that genealogy, you'll find some women who messed up. You'll find some moms who aren't particularly being lauded because their resume is that of super mom. You find a mom who pretended to be a prostitute so she could sleep with her father-in-law. You find a mom who ran a brothel and then helped her hometown be conquered by an invading army. There's a mom who cheated on her husband and then married his murderer. And there's a teenage mom who got pregnant while engaged. You may recall her name. The culture... And all too often, from my perspective, other women will bombard you with a hundred million things that you have to do and to know and to be. But motherhood is not one size fits all. All you have to be is who God has called you to be. Towards that end, let me give you two encouragements and we'll be done. Two encouragements. First, be gospel-centered in your calling. If the only thing you have to be is what God's called you to be, be gospel-centered in it. Be gospel-centered in it. And in case you didn't know this, and my guess is you do, motherhood is a calling 
Right? It's hard. It's hard. If God is sovereign over all things, and we believe that he is, that includes your parenting. Right? So you are where you are in life because God has either sent you there or allowed you to be there, allowed you to arrive there. You do what you do in life because God has allowed you to do it or he has called you to do it. So if you just think about, I'm not talking about motherhood, just in general, you think about all of your skills, your passions, your opportunities, your circumstances, they have placed you into a variety of vocational spheres in your home, in the community, in the workplace, in the local church. So you want to be gospel-centered in those callings. For example, let me just give you, like, what does that mean, gospel-centered? That sounds like I'm not even really sure what that means. So let me just give you two examples of what it means to be gospel-centered in callings. Now, <clears throat> let's be honest. The work of a mom, it's on the low end of the glamour scale. Fair? No, you all feel glamorous doing mom stuff. Okay, maybe this is a misperception. You all feel like, you know, it's like, being on the red carpet at the Met Gala and being a mom. Those are like, right? Well, it's in my manuscript. I have to keep going even if you disagree. In my opinion, a lot of the work that moms do is on the low end of the glamour scale. Right? Consider, if you will, Jesus. In John 13, on the night before he died, he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes the feet of his disciples, which sounds a little gross to us, in like, they took off their socks and shoes and maybe their feet were a little bit sweaty kind of way. There's much, much, much worse than that. Right? It's like sandals, dusty feet, dodging cow piles, nasty kind of first century feet. This is a lowly thing that he is doing. Consider in John 21, Jesus cooks fish over a charcoal fire for his disciples for breakfast. Any of you ever cooked fresh-caught fish? I grew up kind of fishing with my grandparents, and uh, at the time I thought it was kind of cool that they let me scale and gut the fish, and then I quickly figured out that's kind of a gross thing to do. Right? I was like flies and smells and snakes are trying to get at it, and like if you've never cleaned and gutted a fish, like there's some work involved in that, right? And there's no lighter fluid for the charcoal, Right? And so, like, some of you tonight are going to struggle to get your fire lit. Right? This is like, there's some work involved in some of these things. Consider in Mark 6 that Jesus, and elsewhere, but Mark 6 in particular, Jesus cannot find the time to just be alone for a few minutes because the crowds keep finding him. You with me? Okay. Gospel-centered service isn't glamorous. It's often lowly and messy and tiring. But it seeks to serve, not to be served. And it finds strength perfected in weakness. And it considers others more highly than itself. And it loses its life in order to find it. And so you may not wash feet. But diapers get old quick, don't they? And you may not scale and gut fish, but those lunches have to be packed every single day 
over and over and over. Like how many different ways can you prepare chicken nuggets for dinner? Eventually, you just get tired of it. And you may not have crowds flocking to you. But some of you laughed just a few seconds ago because you know, like you had no idea the bathroom wasn't going to be sacred anymore until you had children. And they're like, oh, even this isn't private now. And like when you do everyday things that moms do, you are modeling and applying gospel-centered principles for your children. You are showing them what it looks like to serve the way Christ served. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Dirty diapers, mac and cheese, prom hair, homework help, late night calls from adult children in crisis, tough love on rebellious children who need to grow up. Do it all to the glory of God. That's being gospel-centered and you're called to being a mom. I'll give you one more. I think one of the very real pitfalls of motherhood um, is just the monotony. And I can tell you the number of moms that I've talked to who are like, my life has just become this same pattern. I just do the same thing over and over and over every day. And like, is this it? Like, I got to do this for 17 more years? Right? There's just this, what feels it sometimes like drudgery to it. And without making light of that, because I know that it's real, I just want to suggest to you that there is sacredness in the routines of life. There's some sacredness there. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So think, if you will, for just a minute about the eternal sameness of our God. The sun rises and sets in the same way every single day. Planetary orbits and mathematical things like the gravitational constant and colors in the spectrum, notes on a scale, they are the same day after day after day after day. The psalmist says his mercies are new every single morning, morning after morning after morning after morning after morning. What if you could see in the ordinary routines of being a mom, not boring drudgery that robbed you of the joy of life, but what if you could see the working out of the good news of Jesus Christ making all things new again and again and again and again, day after day? It's an example of a gospel-centered approach to your calling as a mother. Tish Harrison uh, Warren has a great little book about this called Liturgy of the Ordinary. If you want to um, read a little bit more about that, it's got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on the front of it. which tells you the direction that it's heading. Um, it's outstanding on that if you want to dive a little bit deeper. But here's a quote that I've always loved um, by G.K. Chesterton. In his work, Orthodoxy, he writes this, quote, Because children have an abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he or she 
is nearly dead. <laughs> he must have been a dad, right? For, he continues, for grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all the daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Delighting in the ordinary, in the repeated things of being a mom, is a reflection of who God is. And whether your children are 3 or 13 or 30, be gospel-centered in your calling to be their mom. Encouragement number two, be sincere in your faith. Be sincere in your faith. One of my favorite quotes about motherhood in all of the scripture is found in 2 Timothy 1.5. Some of you know this very well. The apostle Paul is writing. He's writing a letter to a young man named Timothy whom he had uh, mentored and equipped for ministry and then kind of sent out the way we're sending Rogers out. Timothy's a pastor now at the point that 2 Timothy's being written, but Paul is still pouring into him. And in the opening lines of the letter, he writes this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Now, as far as we know, Timothy's dad was a Greek non-believer, but Timothy's grandmother and Timothy's mother had a sincere faith that they passed along to him. What's interesting to me about that, like that's just kind of like, oh, isn't that sweet, right? What's really interesting to me about it, though, is if you go back to 1 Timothy, the first letter that Paul writes, 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul um, is writing to Timothy, and the letter is more about his charge to be an elder pastor in this church at Ephesus. And he writes this there in 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge as pastor elders in the church is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So in 1 Timothy Paul's saying, as a pastor, you need to love and correct and disciple and protect your people from a place of sincere faith. And in 2 Timothy, Paul says, I know your mom and your grandma gave you a sincere faith. So watch this now. Timothy's preparation to be an elder and a pastor in the church did not begin when he met Paul and started being mentored. It began at home with his mom. That's where it started. And Timothy wasn't a perfect guy. He wasn't a perfect pastor. He was young, and evidently he could be intimidated by older men in the church. He was anxious. And the way that I read his life story, it seems that that anxiety is pervasive and it interfered with his life sometimes. He was still growing in his profession and he needs Paul to keep training him so he can be better and better and better at what it is that God's called him to. So he didn't have to get 
everything he needed from his mom. And moms hear this, what he did get from her was not enough to keep him from having troubles and sufferings in his life. But he got the most important thing, sincere faith. Sincere faith. Moms, if your children get nothing else from you, let it be sincere faith. Sincere faith does not mean that you never have doubts. It means you acknowledge them and you press into God when they come up. Sincere faith does not mean you never struggle to apply what you know. Sincere faith means you're trying to apply it a little more this year than you did this time last year. You're just growing. Sincere faith doesn't mean that you hide your sin and pretend to be perfect in front of your children. Sincere faith means your children know that mommy needs Jesus too. And so maybe you're like Lois and Eunice and your children and your grandchildren are grown up now. And maybe like Timothy, they still struggle. Be encouraged that that's not your fault. That's the fault of a broken world that we live in. It's a consequence of the fall that Jesus died to save us from and to correct. So moms, don't you let Satan whisper in your ear that somehow if you'd done more, somehow if you'd prayed more, somehow if maybe that one horrific sin you did, maybe God's punishing your children. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Lois and Eunice made it into the Bible and their boy was struggling. Your children are going to struggle too. What they need from you is not perfection. It's a sincere faith. What they need is for you to show them what it looks like to believe in good times and bad. What they need from you is to see what it looks like to pour into and serve in a local church, to serve and to give and to share the gospel with the people around you. They need to know what it looks like to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. You do not have to be perfect in your faith. That won't happen for any of us until the Lord returns or calls us home. All you need is to just be sincere and the rest is up to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful, thankful for the way that you manifest yourself in our lives because of our moms. Thankful for hundreds and thousands and millions of moms over the years who have relentlessly and ceaselessly prayed for the hearts of their children not to turn from you. Thankful for those broken moms from whom we've learned lessons about what not to do and how to grow and to be better. We know that even in the scripture, Father, you liken yourself to a mother hen who gathers her children under her wings. And so our moms bear your image just as much as men, husbands, and fathers do. So I, I pray for the moms who are here this morning, or for those who, who may long to be a mom, for those who may be listening later in the week, that you would encourage their hearts 
to be centered and focused on the gospel, to let go of the weight and the pressure of perfection, and just to lean into you with a sincere faith. And we trust you with our children and our grandchildren. We know that you love them more than we do. We know that you love moms more than we do. But we thank you for them, especially today. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by the word of God today. Take a moment to click the subscribe button on your screen and you won't have to come searching for us next time. Until then, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.